Good evening. Welcome to Community at Coast. I'm looking for the day that uh, I will be looking at faces instead of the camera. Um, it was great to be with you guys this past Sunday. It made quite a difference uh, in worship and the Word. We're looking forward to that day, but in the meantime, we're here online. Glad that you've joined us. And if you've got a question about the Bible study, either this past Sunday or what I'm about to teach, you are welcome to ask that question by sending a text to 949-301-7300. Once again, 949-301-7300. We answer those questions on Upstream. And that is released every Thursday at 4 o'clock. So make sure that you tune in so that you can hear other people's questions and possibly have some more for uh, yourself. We are continuing the chronology of the life of Christ, and we find ourselves in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. We've been here for several weeks. Um, don't worry about it. We're on our way out of it very soon. But would you go with me to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for the Word? Lord, I'm so grateful that you have given us Luke chapter 12. And though we have spent a lot of time in this particular section, I know, Lord, that repetition and time you seem to do throughout the course of your word. You're the Alpha and the Omega, so you know uh, time, you own time, you created time. But all throughout the word, you took time to share the word, and so we want to take time as well to hear it. So would you give us spiritual ears? Would you enlighten our hearts? And Lord, would you allow us, allow the Spirit of God to penetrate our heart so that we might hear you? In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been in an uncomfortable conversation? Uh, you know, you're the third wheel, Either you're sitting there listening to a couple argue, wondering what in the world am I doing here, or you're amongst friends and two friends begin to bicker at one another and you feel really uncomfortable. I'll never forget, I was sitting in my living room. It was my mom along with another pastor. And he was talking about, the pastor was speaking about a movie that he had seen, Bruce Almighty. And as he was there talking about the movie very favorably, I knew how my mom felt about this particular movie. And I'm starting to feel very uncomfortable. Because I know that, uh, well, if you don't know, we actually call my mom the prophetess. Um, and uh, she oftentimes is uh, not concerned about what you think in regard to her opinion when it comes to being faithful to the Word of God and being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's an admirable quality. Well, um, as he was going on and on about this movie, and uh, I just was trying to silence him as best as I could, about five minutes in, my mom could not take it any longer. She stands up and she looks at this pastor and says, that's an abomination, and walks out of the room. An uncomfortable conversation, an uncomfortable situation. And this kind of thing is where the disciples find themselves with Jesus and the Pharisees. You see, Jesus has really made it clear to the Pharisees that they're hypocrites. Luke chapter 11, it's the woe, 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 woe. Six woes he pronounces on the Pharisees and the scribes for their hypocrisy. Well, this made them mad. 
And they joined the crowd not to listen to the word of God. No, they joined the crowd to discover something about Jesus so they might accuse him because they wanted to kill him. That's how mad Jesus made the Pharisees because he called them out for their hypocrisy. In Luke chapter 12, as we find ourselves over the last couple of weeks, Jesus is continually to publicly call out the Pharisees. He says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He calls out their hypocrisy, but he also calls out their covetousness. If you look at Luke chapter 12, he says, take heed, verse 14, and uh, 15, I'm sorry, and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Now, remember, the Pharisees are in the crowd. And he's calling out their hypocrisy, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, beware. Now, leaven was a sinful thing in the Jewish mind. Beware of the sinful nature of the Pharisee. And then he adds to it, beware of their covetousness. Because they were covetous. If one Pharisee had it, they have to have it. And if one had a big robe, they had to have a bigger robe. It was all about pomp and circumstance for the Pharisees. And so, Jesus, he calls them out. But the disciples... They're nervous. They're nervous because the Pharisees are there, and they're hearing what the Pharisees want to do. And if you go back to Luke chapter 12, verse 3, Jesus says, knowing their heart, therefore, whatever you've spoken in dark will be heard in the light, and what you've spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. In other words, listen, guys, don't be afraid of, these, uh, of the Pharisees. Don't whisper into people's ears and don't go into special rooms. No, it's going to be and it needs to be proclaimed so that the whole world can hear. And so what Jesus does is he uses the situation to teach his disciples. We've learned the six things that he communicated to them. He tells them to be bold and not to be afraid of the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can put the soul in hell. He tells them to be courageous and to proclaim his word. He tells them to be wise and lay up themselves treasures that are in heaven, not be a fool like those that lay their treasures in earth. He tells them, be focused. Seek first the kingdom of God. He tells them, be ready. We learned that last week, watching and waiting for the Lord's return. And then he tells them, be responsible. Each one of you have been given something to be responsible with. And he says, for everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And so Jesus, in this situation, he is communicating to the disciples some truths that well, the Pharisees say are their truths, but they're not living their truth. Oh, these words to the Pharisees, they are fiery. And the disciples, they're a little uncomfortable. Because you've got to remember, the Pharisees are in the crowd. So the disciples are living in the perspective with, don't make them mad, Jesus. I mean, what's the point of this? You've already turned the tables and we're watching this whole experience. Isn't there a different way to go about this? I remember being in Liberia um, as a missionary. Uh, we were traveling through rebel territory. Liberia was in the middle of a war, as you've heard me tell many stories. And um, I'll never forget the rebels had lined the road with uh, nails. Well, when they did this, um, we obviously got four flat tires and we were trying to uh, 
replace the two tires. We only had two spare. You always carry two when you go into the jungle. But the other tires we were just stuffing with dirt and grass trying to get out of there knowing that something was up with these nails on the road. Well, all of a sudden, a man comes up and he swipes his machete on the ground and he walks up to us and a friend of mine says to him, who are you? And he responds, I'm greater than God. Well, my friend could not tolerate that answer and he responds and he says, this is my country, these are my people, in fact, the land you're standing on, this is my land. And I want you to know I don't care what you say or what you do, you are not greater than God. I began to think, um, this is super uncomfortable because this is not my country. <laughs> this is not my people. This is not my land. Let's figure out a different way to communicate with this guy who's got a machete to our throats. It was completely uncomfortable. But of course, like me, I didn't say it was uncomfortable. The disciples only thought these things. It's just like in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, you remember, the disciples are surprised that Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, but they talk amongst themselves. They don't say anything to Jesus. And so the disciples haven't said to Jesus, ooh, this is uncomfortable. The disciples haven't said to Jesus, let's not make them mad or let's, let's come up with a different way. This is a, uh, probably a sanctified thought that I've come up with to be able to communicate what actually was happening in the disciples' minds and in their hearts. We'll understand that in just a moment. But there's something that you need to know. Sometimes we don't need to say anything because Jesus knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our mind. You remember all throughout the Gospels, Jesus perceived what they were thinking. Jesus knew what was in their heart. Jesus was grieved by the hardness in their heart because he knows as God what's in our mind and what's in our heart. Now, in some way, this is good. When we're in prayer and we don't want to speak out loud and we pray in our heart, we pray in our mind, well, God hears that. Because he doesn't need us to speak out loud, so we can just speak in our heart. Now, I personally believe that when Jesus taught the disciples, whatever you say to the mountain, it shall be done. It's important to speak out loud when we pray, not just pray in our heart. So in some sense, it's a good thing. But on the other side, it's not such a great thing when we're thinking things or doing things or believing things in our heart that are our own prerogatives and not the promises of the Lord. Um, I don't know about you, but immediately there's a sense of conviction when Jesus speaks to me something that I'm thinking in my mind that no one else is thinking or no one else thinks I'm thinking because, well, maybe there's a smile on my face or maybe I don't look exactly like what's happening in my heart. At the same time, and in that moment, though you may not know, Jesus knows. And that's why I say maybe we might consider it bad when actually he's just getting our attention to the true motives in our hearts. And so Jesus, at the end of this fiery speech to the disciples, when they're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, he concludes this time speaking and ministering to his disciples. The very next verse, he's going to be speaking to the multitude. He's going to be speaking to the crowd. But this was a special training session to learn six important things that we've already talked about, about being bold and courageous and wise and so forth. 
he's going to end this time with the disciples to give them an instruction with a very powerful truth. Would you look at Luke chapter 12? This is where we pick it up, verse 49. Now, some of you are concerned because that was the intro. Don't worry, we're going to get through this section. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. How distressed I am till it is accomplished. Jesus makes it really clear. I'm lighting things up. I came to set a, send fire on the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. In other words, he's speaking to the disciples, and he says to them, listen, I did come to say some fiery things. I did come to light things up. In fact, he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. How I wish it were already kindled. In other words, there is going to be a ferocious inferno that his words are going to bestow on the world. You've got to remember, Jesus is on a mission. He was going to, according to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. But first, before he would do that, he has to die on the cross. And he makes that very clear. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it's accomplished. You see, part of the mission was the fact that he would die on the cross. And the way in which he would glorify God and satisfy the debt of man to God, he would die on the cross. And the resurrection would prove that God is satisfied with the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. But Jesus knew on this mission that he had to die. He told his disciples three times before his death, burial, and resurrection that he would need to die and that he would be buried and that he would raise again. But when he rose again, oh, he makes it very clear to the disciples, he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. In fact, John chapter 16, he says, listen, it's for your benefit that I go away. Because when I go away, when I die on the cross, when I'm resurrected, when the ascension happens, I'm going to be able to send the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that with this thought in mind of the cross, he's distressed. Oh, not because he was going to face the cross but because he understands me when I'm distressed. You see, truly he's the man of sorrows. He felt the pressure of the cross. That's exactly what the word stressed means. He felt pressed on both sides. Isaiah would refer to him as the man of sorrows. The letter to the Hebrews, the writer would say that he could sympathize with our weakness. And the fact that Jesus was distressed as the God-man it tells me that he understands when I'm distressed. He's not disappointed with me. He's not frustrated with me. He knows the feeling. He's understanding of where I'm at, and he meets me where I'm at, and he says, I want you to come to the throne of grace when you're in this place of distress so that you can receive mercy. I love the fact that he understands my own distress. But I love the fact that he's distressed until it is accomplished. You see, there was no shadow of a doubt that Jesus was going to back out of the cross. 
You see, he had made a decision that despite his feeling, he was going to operate by faith. And I love this about Jesus as well. Because sometimes when I'm distressed or I'm operating in my feeling, I don't necessarily want to live by faith. But Jesus, my example, my standard bearer, he sets the example that despite the way that he felt about it, he chose to be obedient to the word of God. He chose obedience. He chose obedience over compromise. No matter what he, he felt about it, he said, this will be accomplished. He was resolute. Paul learned this from Jesus. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, that the love of Christ compelled him. That he was going to choose obedience instead of compromise. That he was going to choose faith instead of his feelings. That no matter what was going on inside of him, the love of Christ compelled him. The fact that Jesus loved him, the fact that Jesus set an example, the fact of what Jesus did on the cross, I'm following that example no matter how I feel. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus goes on to teach this powerful lesson to the disciples, and he says this, do you suppose, and I want you to circle that word, that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Do you suppose, I ask you to circle that word, maybe underline it or take your colored pencils out and just kind of put your colored pencil over it so that it can highlight for you, do you suppose? Remember, Jesus knows what's going on in their heart and mind. They didn't need to say, don't make them mad. They didn't need to say, can we do this a different way? Uh, the Pharisees are here. You're making them uncomfortable. Your speech is a little bit fiery. Do you suppose? Because Jesus knew what they were supposing. He knows what's in our mind. He knows what's in their heart. You see, here they are thinking, Jesus, this ain't like peace, love, and happy Jesus. Jesus, I mean... Come on, let's, let's go heal a lame man or let's do something. These words are like really irritating the Pharisees. And I don't know if you know what they want to do to you, but man, maybe you should just bring it down a notch and not get anyone upset. You're making people feel bad with what you're saying. I mean, you're telling them to be bold despite what the Pharisees are saying. You're telling them to be courageous. You're telling them not to gain all of these earthly possessions. And that's exactly what the Pharisees do. Jesus, come on, man. Bring it down a notch. Not Jesus. See, he knows what they're supposing, and he says, I came to light a fire. I know what I'm saying, and I know the fiery way of my words. Look again at Luke chapter 12, verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, another thing to underline, not at all, but rather division. Not only does he know that his words are fiery, he's confident in it. Not at all. I didn't come to bring peace. Now, some of you, a little alarm is going off going, wait a second. I thought he's the prince of peace. Um, what happened to Luke chapter 2 where Luke records that the angels said, peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, come on, Jesus. Shouldn't you be more peace, love, happiness than making people upset and saying some fiery words? Well, the truth is he did come to bring peace for those who would receive his message. He did come to bring peace with God by dying on the cross. 
But he knew very well that there would be those that agreed with him and they would receive this truth. But he also knew that there would be those that disagree and they would reject this truth. And this agreement and this rejection is going to cause division. He's not speaking about division from God or division from the church. No, he's speaking a division from the world. A division that's very clear. It's very black and white. It's very different. There's no consideration of how it can meld. There is a difference between the way of the world and the way of the word. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to read it for you. It's 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Speaking about uh, the way of the word and the way of the world, don't be equally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And thus the illustration, the difference between black and white, it's the difference spiritually of light and darkness. There's going to be a division. Those that believe in what Jesus had to say and those that don't believe what Jesus had to say. Even amongst our own home. Look what he says in verse 52. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now, we've got to keep this in context because you can't use this every time you've got to fight with your mother-in-law or you've got to fight with your father-in-law or your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. Well, even Jesus said that there's going to be division in our house. Keep it in context. Don't use Jesus' words out of context. He's talking about those who believe and those who won't. And he's saying there's going to be division. There's going to be division even in the home. And there was division in the home of Jesus. He understood this. His brothers didn't believe. They even caused Mother Mary to doubt the words of Christ and think that he was crazy because of all the things that he was saying and all the things that he was doing. Jesus knew this. He knew what was going on. He knew there would be division. It's what you feel in the world today. It's why the enemy uses this division to make us intimidated as if we can't preach the gospel or say the name of Jesus. Well, if I do, I'm going to get fired. Division. Oh, don't talk about religion. Division. You see, He's created the division as a weapon against the body of Christ. Jesus is making it very clear with his fiery words that, listen, there are going to be people for us and there's going to be people against us. We have the responsibility to communicate the truth of the incredible gospel, to choose faith over our feeling, to be obedient rather than compromise. You see, the message today, it still brings division. That's why Jesus took the time to teach the disciples the principles that he taught them, even with the enemy in the midst. And that's why he told them, be bold. That's why he told them, be courageous. That's why he told them to be wise and to be focused. That's why he told them to be ready and why he told them to be responsible. Because the enemy is in our midst and there is going to be division. And the only way that we're going to be able to stand 
is if we hear the message of Luke chapter 12 that he ministered to his disciples. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that we have your word to lead us and guide us in the midst of living amongst the enemy. With so much division, I pray that we would stand for the gospel. I pray that we would not use this scripture out of context and use it for politics or our own personal gain. I pray that we'd use this scripture to stand for you and to be bold and know that in choosing to stand for you with boldness, there will be those that receive and those that reject. I pray, Lord, that you would bring in your harvest. And I pray for the harvesters that are going out into your field, that we would see a great harvest here at Coast Hills of people willing to proclaim the gospel and people getting saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Because this is Community at Coast, it's our time for life groups. So here's what we do. Most of the life groups know it's time to break out into the various life group that they have virtually, or maybe they're meeting somewhere in a social distance, safe kind of way. But if you don't have a life group, you're joining us for the first time, there's a way for you to be engaged. Why don't you go ahead, click our Connect tab, and you will be ushered right into a Zoom room with a group that will welcome you and have a spiritual conversation about Luke chapter 12. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.